this morning, please, to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Perhaps you've noticed that far too often people tend to look at one, just one side of a matter and that always leads to problems. You know, we get so focused on our problem and so focused on our needs that sometimes we forget about our provisions and God's greatness. And whatever the subject is, we have to we have to be sure that we look at the big picture or it causes an imbalance in our life and and people tend to go to to the extremes and whatever it is that you're talking about and that's often the case when we talk about the subject of contentment that's what we've been speaking about last week i preached on the subject of contentment and we we seem to forget that our desires can be uh, they can be good or they can be bad the Bible tells us not to covet, and yet Paul says earnestly covet the best gifts. So it can be something good, it can be something bad, and even discontentment can be good or it can be bad. One is prohibited, the other is permitted. One is harmful, the other is helpful. One is destructive, the other is delightful. The one is sinful, and yet the other is something sacred. And so today I want you to think about discontent as a good thing, because it is. It's good because it motivates us to improve as a person. It motivates us to, uh, uh, in, what, in what we do in life. It simply makes us better and enables us to do better. And thankfully, God has given us a great example when it comes to, to this subject, someone that that has illustrated the importance of discontentment, and I'm, of course, talking about the Apostle Paul. So if you're going to consider what he said about contentment in Philippians 4 and verse 11, as we did last week, then we also need to consider what he says about discontent previously, and that brings us here to chapter number 3. And I wish I had time to read the entirety of this chapter, but for time's sake... I'm just going to pick up in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, and he is just enumerating those things that, that at one time were so very important to him. And he says, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if any, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. So it's as though God is telling us what to do, what not to do, and then he's saying here is uh, here's the example. This is what it is all about. He commences this section here by talk, talking about the things of which he once boasted, that's verses 4, 5, and 6. But then he continues by telling us here what had become, uh, had become worthless to him after he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things, he said, are no longer important to me. But then he concludes there, beginning in verse number 10, by telling us what, what was of the greatest importance to him. And I've just read that, and I think it's very clear that although we do not see the word discontent there, we see the thing. It is obvious to us that Paul is saying that although I am contented with Christ, in Christ, I am not satisfied with myself. And this morning, I think it would do us all good to stop and think about the spiritual progress in our life because every Christian ought to have a burning desire to be as much like Christ as they possibly can. And that means that if that's the case, we're going to be discontent with ourselves as we are and for good reason because we're all imperfect. There's not one person here that can say that I have arrived, I'm all that I need to be, I'm everything that I should be. And so I'm just content being where I am in life. Paul knew there's more to being a Christian than just being saved. Now, I use that that term, just being saved, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you can hardly do that. Just being saved, that's the most wonderful, glorious thing in all of the world. But that's not the only thing in the world. It, it, that's the beginning of what God is doing in our life. You see, God's not satisfied just trying to keep you out of hell. God's satisfied in fulfilling His desire for your life. What is His purpose? What is it that God is working toward? What is it that God wants from you so very much that he gave his only begotten son? It's far more than just delivering you from the suffering of hell. As wonderful as that is, as wonderful as heaven itself is, there's more to it than that. And Paul explains in Romans eight twenty nine, where it says that God has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what it's all about. That's what God is working toward. Our mission in life is to glorify God by progressively becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ until finally that day comes when we shall be like Christ because we'll be with Christ. So here is Paul in prison, by the way. 
You know, a lot of times we think, well, I'd have a lot better attitude if my situation was different. Well, just put yourself in Paul's shoes. Think about being in his situation. He is in a Roman prison, and yet he's not complaining about it. By the way, this is up in the last years of his ministry. His ministry is about over. And that tells us that he had never lost his desire to keep growing. Growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question this morning is, have you? Have have you lost that desire that maybe, hopefully, at one time you had? The Lord saved you and after that you thought to yourself, I want to be as much like Christ as I can. I want to do everything possible to please my Heavenly Father. And yet something happened along the way that, uh, well, as the song says a while ago, you're holding a candle, but there's no flame. The fire has gone out. The desire seems to have vanished. You see, it's the discontented Christian in life that continues to grow in life. Being discontented where we are enables us to have that desire to go on beyond where we are at the present. We've got to get to the point that we realize that before our life can count anything, we have to see ourselves as a zero spiritually. We'll never become what we ought to be as long as we think as long as we suppose that we have gone as far as we need to go in our Christian life. And a repentant heart always is preceded by a restless heart. And that's what Paul is expressing here. He's saying, I'm just not satisfied where I am. He He said, I haven't arrived yet. And his desire was to be apprehend, to apprehend that for which he had been apprehended. That word speaks about someone being put under arrest, taken into custody. And that happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. God stopped him in his tracks. God took him as he were. And just as, the, as Paul is saying, that's what I want in life and in other words I want to be able to accomplish I want to be able to apprehend that for which I've been apprehended I want to fulfill God's purpose in my life so he lived with a restless heart wanting to be more than he's ever been before and I could spend hours talking about all of the details of this chapter and I'd I'd love to do that but I want you to keep your focus this morning on this matter of discontentment because that's the change factor that leads to all of the other changes in our life. So how do I do that? Believe me, I've tried to think this week the best way to approach this subject, the best way to that it would make an impression on your heart of how desperately we need to be discontented with who we are and where we are in life. Last week I referred to what Paul said in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, where he says, Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. In other words, he was showing us and telling us that godliness with contentment is great gain. But I want you this morning to think about, and I want you to see how that discontentment 
is a profitable thing in our life, that it is something of great value to us because as I just got through saying, it is the change factor. That's the pivot point. It's where everything begins to change the direction of our life. I'm dissatisfied with where I am. I, I want to get where I ought to be. So, so what is so valuable, so important about you being discontent. When you came to church this morning, you, you probably thought to yourself, boy, I, 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 I hope the, the service has a way of just giving me a peace and making me content. I, well, I hope it makes you miserable. If, Amen. I, I'm sorry. We need, we need that attitude of discontent with where we are in life. We get so upset, so discontent with the problems of the world. We don't like this. We don't like that. But it's time that we took a good look at our own life and began to realize we're not where we ought to be. Maybe you're thinking, well, Brother Stone, you, you don't know me. How do you know whether I am or whether I'm not? Because I know you're not like Jesus. That tells me you've got miles to go, just like I do, just like we all do. We're not there yet, and if we're not there yet, we ought to be headed in that direction, and if we're not, if we're not, we need to get our life back on track, and it starts with not being satisfied where we are. So what makes discontentment so valuable? Number one, it can cause you to do what's needed to do in order to grow spiritually. And by the way, spiritual growth is not without means. In other words, it doesn't just happen as you age. Somebody says, I've been saved 50 years. That is wonderful. But the question is, how much have you grown during the course of those 50 years? You see, spiritual growth is the effect of a cause. And it demands dedication to what what some folks call the spiritual disciplines of life. And that, that word phrase, spiritual disciplines, refers to things like, well, Bible study and prayer and fasting and worship and stewardship, self-examination, confession, obedience to God. It involves all of those things, and that's what is required for us to grow spiritually. And if we never apply ourselves and avail ourselves of those things that are necessary, we'll certainly never grow in life. We won't do what's needed until we see, until we see the need. No one ever recovered from drug addiction or alcoholism until, first of all, they recognize, I've got a serious problem, I need help. Getting them to see their need is the first and the biggest step they have to take because they'll never want to change until they get there. And we as Christians, we can get up on Sunday morning and put on our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes and we can come and sit and sing all of these wonderful songs about the Lord and how much we love Him and so forth. But the question is not whether you and I are pleased with the service, it's whether or not God is pleased with us. And if we're not progressing, I'm talking about as individuals, if we're not progressing, if we're not growing, if our Christian life has just become stagnated, dead in the water, 
then we've got a problem that we need to attend to. That makes discontentment valuable. You think about the little baby crying for its mother's milk. Why? Because it's discontent. It's not satisfied. It throws a hissy fit. I mean, it'll, it doesn't make any difference what time of day it is. It can be 2 o'clock in the morning. It can be in the middle of the day when mom's trying to, uh, trying to eat her lunch. It doesn't make any difference. When that baby reaches the point that it's no longer satisfied, it begins to cry out for what it wants. And spiritual discontent ought to move us to get what is needed for growth in our life. And the question is, how hungry are you? Well, I can't remember it being so quiet in here. But I take that as a good thing. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. I'm trying to think positive, you know. How hungry are you? How much of a desire do you have to, to keep growing in your spiritual life? More and more like Jesus. We sing about it. But do we really have a desire for that to be a reality in our life? It causes us to do what is needed to grow spiritually, but it doesn't just stop there. It would be wonderful if, you know, if that's the only benefit from this spiritual discontent we're talking about. That'd be wonderful. But there's more to it than that. It also, it also will cause us to declare the gospel to others. Because when we grow spiritually, we become less and less satisfied, not only with ourselves, we become less and less satisfied with the world around us. And our discontent with this wicked world has a way of encouraging us to share with others the only message that can help them. In other words, we see the terrible condition that the world is in. We see the great need for others to know Christ is their Savior. And because of that, we no longer can be content. I used to read a little poem. I wish I had it here in my Bible somewhere. It can, part of it said, can we sit idly by and watch, the, and, and, and watch those that are drowning? Can a fireman sit idly by and watch the fire in... No one, no one offers a help. So many times that's what we do, and we do that because we're just content being where we are. But when we're growing in our Christian life, we're maturing spiritually, all of a sudden we have a desire to provide the answer for the questions and to meet the needs for, for, for those that are without Christ. And there's only one thing that can do that, and that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, uh, how, how content or how can we be content watching others on the road to hell, watching others living without Christ, knowing that they're one heartbeat, one breath away from eternity? A Christless eternity in a devil's hell. Can, can we really live a life of contentment knowing that's the reality of it? And I bet if we took a survey this morning, every single person here could say, you have a dear friend or a dear loved one, a relative, someone that is a, a member of your family, 
And by their own admission, they've never received Christ as their Savior. Shall we just remain in our state of contentment? No desire to go any further, no desire to mature anymore, never availing ourselves of those spiritual disciplines that would help us to grow, that would enable us to care, to care enough about them that we would reach out to them with the gospel. But there's another value. It'll also cause us to devote ourselves to change. Devote ourselves to change. Seeing the needs of the world and reaching out to them with the gospel and realizing that that is the only thing that's going to improve the world. So many times do we, you know, having just got over the election or in the middle of the election or wherever we are with the election, I don't know. But considering this time of the year, I'll put it that way. We think about the great need for changes to be made in our nation. We can all think of things that that ought to be different, that we wish were different, that we're hoping that someday we'll be different. We all hope for that. And we think, man, if we can get the right person in there, if we can get the right party in control and what have you. But let me tell you, the only way our nation can possibly change is for it to change one person at a time And the only hope for that is what? Well, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only as you and I grow spiritually that we're going to have the deep concern to be able to get out here and do what we can to reach people. First of all, we've got to get dissatisfied with where we are at our station in life. When we do that, we will just naturally devote ourselves to the changes that need to be made. I, I can't think about this without thinking about what might be the, maybe the best example I know of, and that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah has had his share of problems. He's in exile, but my, my, he's faring well. Everything's going great. He's the king's cupbearer. He's had this great promotion in life. He's got plenty of food to eat and everything. But someone comes into the city with a report of what's going on, what's happened back in Jerusalem. That's the beloved city. And Nehemiah listens to that sad report. The temple destroyed, the walls broken down, the city overthrown. And when Nehemiah learned about the deplorable condition of that beloved city, he was never the same after hearing that sad report. It changed him forever. He became discontent and turned that discontentment into action. He was so discontent that he went to God in prayer, and God all of a sudden began to open doors and enabled him and Ezra to enable them to go back to Jerusalem, and he devoted the rest of his life to change, to the restoration of that city. And that's the way that it ought to be with us, that we get so discontented, not, not only with ourselves, but the rottenness of the world around us, 
that we'll realize that if we're going to make any difference in the world that we live in, and if we're going to at all be able to help those that we love to be delivered from the wrath to come, our only hope is to get the gospel to them. And to do that, we've got to be dissatisfied with where we are. Not only that, but there's another benefit. And that's the fact that this spiritual, this good discontentment we're talking about that Paul has exemplified will drive us on in the face of difficulty. I've just talked about Nehemiah, and boy, when you think about what he went through, getting back there was just part of the work. Whenever he finally got in Jerusalem, all of a sudden every enemy imaginable reared their ugly head and they tried to stop him in every way possible. And that is exactly how it's going to be with you and I in life. As we, as we determine that we're going to continue our spiritual growth so that we can be more and more useful in God's work and more and more of a help to others in this world, as we determine that we're going to do that, mark it down, it's not going to be without a fight. The devil's going to do everything in his power to try to disrupt our lives, divert our attention, ruin our testimony, and hinder us from doing what God wants to do with us. Not only do we see it with Nehemiah, we certainly see it with the Apostle Paul. Notice in verse number 14, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize. I press. He didn't say, I jog. He didn't say, I lollygag around the track. I press. And that, that word press comes from a Greek word that means an intense effort. It means extreme intensity or effort. And, and it's speaking about in the pursuit of something. It, it, it can be used to describe a runner, for example. A, a runner in a race that is, strive, is, is straining every nerve and fiber in their body trying to win the prize the same word is used of a warrior, a warrior that is in pursuit of the enemy, a warrior that is exhausting every ounce of their energy trying to win the war. And that's the picture he wants you to get. I press toward the mark for the prize. Look in verse 6, whereas he speaks about what he once did, what he once boasted about. And one of the things that he was so proud of as an unsaved person was the fact that he was persecuting the church. It's interesting that that word to persecute there is exactly the same word that Paul is using here when he says press. He's talking about something that's driving, something that is exhausting, something that is unrelenting, the pursuit of something and seeing the degradation of this depraved world ought to turn our discontent into devotion. And that's what, he's, that's what he's getting at here. I'm ashamed of what I used to be. I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be everything God wants me to be. I want to continue growing even when I feel like not engaging in the spiritual disciplines. And by the way, there'll be times when you don't. Have you been to that place? Are you at that place where 
right now because of what you're going through the great difficulties your mind is so occupied with the hardships of life you don't even feel like reading your bible you know sometimes it gets so bad you don't even feel like praying i can remember times in my life and i knew i ought to pray and 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 yet i know i needed prayer and the only thing that i could think of to say was help lord and that's all i said help lord sometimes we don't even know what to say and it's just the moaning and the groaning of our heart and god says that's okay it's okay the holy spirit translates that so god understands I think putting all of that together, we ought to come to the conclusion that if we're not going to do something about what we see in the world today, we might as well stop complaining about it. Because we want everything to be different, and it ought to be different. But so many times we want everything to be different except ourselves, and we become content being what we are when we're less than what we ought to be. Unless we change, we can't really change anything. And I pray today that that no one here will be like those in Laodicea who said, and listen to this, the Lord has written them the letter of rebuke. And here's what they said, that, that they were rich and, quote, have need of nothing. That's what they thought. That's what they had the audacity to say. And the Lord said, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What an awful picture of a person. What an awful picture of a church. And that's the way the Lord depicted them. But the question this morning is, how does the Lord see you? We need to each one ask ourselves that question. How does the Lord see me this morning? I'm not talking about your salvation in the judicial reckoning of God where God sees you as perfectly righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Our salvation's based upon that. But how does God see you when it comes to, when it comes to spiritual growth in your life, the progress that you've made? And hopefully, hopefully he can see us growing in the direction of his own dear son. Now, one word to those that are here today because I realize everything I've said has been directed toward those that have already been saved. I've tried to present it in a way that would be a challenge to you. That in experiencing a holy dissatisfaction that you would devote yourself to becoming everything God wants you to be. But all of that being said, without a doubt, there are some here today that have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I simply want to say a few words to you, and I might not know you, but I know something about you. In fact, I know something about you that you might not even know about yourself. I know that you'll never, ever be content until you turn to Christ. You might think you are, 
You might dazzle yourself with all of the glitter of this old sinful world and you might gain what your flesh desires and you might think, ah, I've captured it. Finally, I've got what I needed and I'll be content. And it's not 24 hours later and you're right back in that old, dark, miserable pit of discontentment, unsatisfied. You see, it's like someone said many years ago that, that God made man with a God-shaped vacuum in his life. And he's going to be dissatisfied until that vacuum is filled with God himself. Think about the prodigal son because that story is a picture of lost humanity. The prodigal son who wanted nothing in, to do with the father any longer and he sets out on his own just like Adam and Eve did and he strikes out. He goes into a far country. He does whatever he wants to do. No restraints placed upon him. No rebuke coming from a higher authority. It's just my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to. But finally, finally he ends up in the pig pen. He ends up in a place where there's no man that cared for his soul, no one that offered to feed him. All he had to look forward to was the husk that the pigs ate. That's all. Let me tell you, he would have never left the pig pen and gone back to the father had he not become discontent. If you leave here this morning unsaved, and I know you might not understand what I'm about to say, but if you do, walk out that door, get in your car, and leave here in an unsaved condition, my prayer is going to be that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to make you so discontent, so miserable, that you'll finally see your need of the Son of God. And I promise you, if that happens, you'll thank me for that prayer. Because you, listen, if you're not saved, you don't have anything to be content about. You might be in perfect physical health. You might have gotten the largest raise you've ever had last month. Everything might be looking good, but it couldn't be worse than what it is without Jesus. Would you trust him this morning? Thy simple childlike faith put your trust in Christ. And I promise you, he'll not only save you, he'll satisfy the longing in your heart. And he wants to do that because God's, listen, God's discontent with you being as you are. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And that means you. Would you come to him this morning? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but I don't know, somewhere along the way, you, you just become content with being where you are in your Christian life. Maybe the Spirit of God is just this morning prodding you onward to keep growing, to keep growing. And I hope you'll take that first step this morning and devote yourself to following God's plan for your life. Father, how we thank you for your loving kindness, how we thank you for the sacrifice that your son made on the cross. 
And I pray if there's one here today that's never been saved, that this might be the day they'd come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, forgive me of the times that I've become complacent and lackadaisical and just, well, just content with being where I was. God, help us to, throughout our lifetimes to keep pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May that be our heart's desire this morning. May we be discontent with anything less than that. Bless us now. We don't deserve it, but we sure need it. In Jesus' name. Now as we stand, as we sing together this